is the Shelbourne Knee Center podcast, and tonight we have the distinct pleasure of having the man himself, the namesake for our office, the namesake for our podcast, Dr. Don Shelbourne on with us tonight. Dr. Shelbourne, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rodney. Scott and I are here again. Scott Bauman's here today. Scott, glad to have you as well. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the non-operative treatment of osteoarthritis of the knee. This is part of a three-part series that we're doing. And uh, we wanted to hear tonight from Dr. Shelbourne about the development phase of this. You know, I came into the office 11 years ago and was able to jump into the middle of this with a program already being developed and then add to it with my experience as the joint replacement surgeon in our office. Uh, But a lot of the groundwork was already long since laid over a couple decades of Dr. Shelbourne's experience. And tonight we want to know kind of how we got to the treatment philosophy for arthritic knees that we have currently and uh, speak with Dr. Shelbourne about the past. Yeah, and like Dr. Bennett said, this is pretty much a well-oiled machine at this point when it comes to the non-operative treatment of knee osteoarthritis. And we got a little glimpse of that last week when we discussed with Elena, one of our physical therapists, who took us through what the process looks like from a rehab standpoint with patients with knee osteoarthritis and what that may look like from initial visit all the way through discharge. So I think tonight's going to be a great opportunity to get some insight from Dr. Shelbourne, who developed this non-operative approach, and, and get some some thoughts on where that started and how it's evolved over time. Dr. Shelbourne, thanks again for joining us. And I know I've had a ton of conversations with you over the years about how this protocol was developed. Uh, But like most things in the office, uh, this really developed off of our experience of doing what's more of our bread and butter that we're known more about, which is taking care of ACL reconstructions. And I know there was some specific experiences that you had earlier on in practice that kind of formed your opinions around the importance of range of motion after ligament surgery and how that eventually evolved into really showing us that that made a big difference in people's ultimate outcome and potential development of arthritis after surgery. So take us back a long time ago to when you first started to think about the problems of uh, losing extension after ACL surgery, and then how that kind of started to evolve its way forward. Well, as, as you know, during your residency and during our training, orthopedic surgeons do not have that much of a a common link with physical therapists. And when I was in training, physical therapists had to teach somebody how to walk on crutches before they can be discharged. And that's all the association I had with physical therapists. And we never had much physical therapy training in our orthopedic residency. And physical therapists in general don't work with orthopedic surgeons that often. And so I started practice in 1982, and I started with Purdue University with Denny Miller, who's an athletic trainer and physical therapist. And so I'm doing ACL surgery on the Purdue students, and Denny Miller asked me, well, what kind of rehab do you want to do? And I said, well, I thought that was your job. I thought you were the therapist. I'm the doctor. You're the therapist. And he goes, well, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, what were you trained to do? And he goes, well, what do you want me to do? And we're kind of going back and forth, and it's like neither one of us knew exactly what was going on. And at that time, since I was focusing on ACL surgery, you know, I I thought I was pretty good at what I was doing. We had a terrible, terrible problem with people not getting their motion back after ACL surgery. And we were scared to death to do anything very radical because we were taught that you have to mobilize the knee for six weeks to let the bone heal. And you couldn't move them early and you couldn't do anything. And, you know, I'm getting all these patients coming from around the state coming to see me. And I had a tremendous number of people, about 20% of people after ACL surgery have really bad problems with range of motion. And I was scared to death to try to make them 
moved their knee earlier because I was scared to death to break the graft. But I had to do something because these were 15, 16-year-old kids or Purdue students having ACL surgery that had stiff knees that were painful. And so I tried to do something to try to make their knee less stiff, but I also didn't want to break their graft. And so we kept trying to improve getting their motion better. And I, I wasn't taught, and I'm not sure, Rodney, you were taught or Scott, you were taught in therapy that the difference with ACL surgery and any, any other joint is that with ACL surgery, you're putting a graft inside the knee joint that if it's not placed properly can break, can block the extension. And so we kept trying to make things better, make things better, make things better. And when I finally got to the point that we can make things better and got full extension back, that's when we wrote that paper on accelerated rehab after ACL surgery, proving that getting full extension back after ACL surgery did not cause problems with the graft. So that was kind of like a landmark paper back in like in 1990. And getting extension back was such a big deal that we finally realized, and that's when our therapist got to the point of getting extension back was the primary goal of ACL surgery. But as you know, back in the days, a lot of people didn't get extension back. And when they didn't get extension back, it wouldn't come back spontaneously. And I had to do a lot of arthroscopy on people because their graft was too big to fit in the notch or the notch is too small to fit the graft. We had to do a lot of what we call scar resection surgeries to try to get their knees straight after surgery, but it was just really not that good. And the elite was developed to try to take somebody after a flexion contracture and a scar resection to make their knees straighter. And so that worked very well, getting arthrofibrosis patients having their knees straighter. Well, at the same time, I wasn't doing any arthritic knee surgery because I didn't do ACLs until you came, Robbie. And so when I had all these people that had arthritic knees that had flexion contractures, I was taught, like you were probably taught, and Scott was probably taught, that arthritic knees are stiff. And if you have an arthritic knee, you probably can't straighten your knee out. Okay, well, that's probably the arthritic process causing the problem of not straightening the knee out. I kept thinking, why are the young people that are having flexion contractures so painful and the arthritic knee patients that have flexion contractures don't complain about a flexion contracture? And so I just said, what the heck, what? Let's, let's take some of these arthritic knees and put them in the elite seat and see what happens. So we started putting some patients with arthritic knees with flexing attractions in the elite seat. And amazingly to me, I couldn't believe it happened, their flexion contracture decreased. And their 10-degree flexion contracture now went down to 2 degrees, and they stood up and they said, my knee feels better. They kept thinking, maybe a flexion contracture in an arthritic knee is something we can change. And I never realized that because I thought that was just part of the arthritic process. Scott knows one of my patients that is a doctor at Meridian Hills had a flexion contracture in an arthritic knee. And I asked him, I said, did you ever do a total knee when you were in practice? He goes, all the time. Did you ever do a total knee on somebody that had full extension? He goes, oh, never. Everybody with an arthritic knee has a flexion contracture. I said, well, did you ever try to get their flexion contracture reduced before you did their total knee? And he goes, I didn't know you could do that. And so I started experimentally with the elite seat, now that we had that, taking people with arthritic knees and flexion contractures and putting them in the elite seat to reduce their flexion contracture to see if that might help. And amazingly, totally unbeknownst to me, it worked. And that was something that I couldn't believe it because I thought that was just part of an arthritic knee. And so now we know that people have flexion contractures and arthritic knees. And now that we had the elite seat, we could try to take people with arthritic knees and make their flexion contracture less. 
And that was the start of this whole process because it was totally un unknown to me because before Rodney, before you came, I didn't do total knees. And I had people coming to see me with arthritic knees that didn't want total knees and they knew I didn't do total knees. And so they thought I could help them without doing surgery. And amazingly, we could with the elite seat. Can you touch a little bit on the difference between those having ACL surgery versus OA? You had mentioned that when patients get in the elite seat with a with a flexion contracture and they have osteoarthritis, they're able to make gains in extension. And then you go back to earlier on in your practice when you were seeing a high percentage of patients having stiffness after ACL surgery, and it was more difficult to get that extension back. Can you describe the difference on why somebody with an arthritic <clears throat> knee may succeed on that versus somebody with an ACL reconstruction may fail at that? Yeah, that, that was something I didn't know until I started doing ACL surgery back in the 80s, that if you couldn't extend your knee after ACL surgery, it was not because the knee was just stiff like a frozen shoulder, then everybody thinks that stiff joints over time will get better. But with ACL knees, we're putting a graft inside the knee, and the ACL graft was physically preventing the knee from straightening out because it did not fit in the notch getting the knee straight. And I didn't know that when I started practice, and I'm sure not many ACL surgeons or orthopedic surgeons out there understand that or physical therapists understand that. Lack of extension after ACL surgery just doesn't come back like a frozen shoulder goes away. And so we had mm -hmm. to focus on getting extension back after ACL surgery because the graft has to fit in the notch. And so we got so good at making the extension come back after ACL surgery that we finally got our patients happy after ACL surgery getting their extension back. I couldn't understand why ACL patients were so unhappy, lacking extension, but arthritic knee patients that couldn't extend their knee never complained about not being able to extend their knee. Well, they complained of pain, and they didn't know that their pain was maybe from lacking extension. So experimentally, we started taking the elite seat and putting it on people with arthritic knees, and amazingly, people got better extension, and amazingly to me at the time, their pain was less. And so that was something that I'm not sure anybody out there could think about having an experiment where you're trying to take arthritic knees and making their knees straighter because there's nothing out there to make arthritic knees straighter because we were taught that arthritic knees are stiff. I think when I was in training, there was a thought that there's a certain level of arthritis that you get to in which you've been stiff for too long, you're too arthritic, you're in too much pain, you're too old a lot of times, and that there's just that's just a part of the arthritis and that there's nothing that's going to change about it. Our experience has not been that. And there's not really, in our opinion, a level of arthritis that the patients can't handle the rehabilitation and try to get themselves better. Talk to, to, the, to our listeners a little bit about uh, sometimes how we can see patients with really bad arthritis and still make range of motion gains and get symptomatic improvement. Physical therapists are taught that people that have arthritic knees that have good strength have less pain. And so if an orthopedic surgeon is forced to send somebody to a physical therapist, the physical therapist typically says, well, we need to get better strength. And trying to strengthen a stiff arthritic knee doesn't work. And so the therapist works with them for a while, and it doesn't work. And they go back to the, to the doctor, and the doctor says, why did I send them to therapy? Therapy didn't work at all. And then after surgery, the number of PT visits are allowed have been used up by the therapist preoperatively. There's just not a good coordination between therapists and doctors and stiff arthritic knees, if you make their flexion contracture less, 
their pain drops and their strength increases and their strength gets better because their pain's less. And the problem is that how do you take an arthritic knee that's stiff and make it less stiff and make the head better extension? If a therapist tries to push on somebody's arthritic knee that's stiff, it hurts. You know, so we have to come up with a way that the patient can make their arthritic stiff knee less stiff by their own power. And that's the nice thing yeah, about that- the ideal knee and the elite seat is that both of them were designed for the patient to be allowed to take their stiff arthritic knee and make it less stiff on their own power. That's something we get questions about sometimes when we have visiting residents or fellows that come to our office and we throw up x-rays and we see a severely arthritic knee, large osteophytes, varus deformity, and a 10-degree flexion fracture, 110 degrees of flexion. And they're often surprised. You're, you're going to take that knee and you're going to send them to physical therapy. But as you know, that does often work. And I'm often surprised by the, you know, the, the fact that some of those patients can get symptomatic and, and range of motion improvements. When we look at our data on that, I always find it fascinating that patients, whether they come in with a mild arthritic knee, moderate arthritic knee, or a severe arthritic knee, they usually have a a CUS score of 50. And that's not because it's more severe or whatever from an arthritic standpoint. A lot of times it is because of the presentation of them coming in with stiffness and weakness and things of that nature. And that's really been an eye-opening thing that we've seen when looking at our data is the pain level is not really tied to the degree of arthritis. A lot of times it's more of those objective measures. Yeah, definitely, Scott. When we look at our data on those patients that are starting at different levels of arthritis, they come in at a different at a certain level of pain and dysfunction. They don't necessarily come in at a, at a certain level of arthritis. Dr. Shelbourne, tell us a little bit about as those patients come into you with, you know, they you, we hear it all the time. I have bone on bone arthritis. They said there's nothing I can do other than surgery. Uh, and the conversation with that we have to have for those people and the success that we found that we've been able to have in even in that group that has quote, end-stage arthritis. Two things I hate to hear patients have been told by an orthopedic surgeon is you have bone-on-bone arthritis or you have end-stage osteoarthritis. I mean, end-stage osteoarthritis is what patients are being told in order to talk them into having a total knee replacement. And we see that all the time. And like I'm sure you see it a lot more than me, Rodney. When people come in with bone-on-bone arthritis, end-stage osteoarthritis, they're told they need a total knee and they don't want a total knee. They don't want to have surgery. They just want to feel better. And if they have a flexion contracture, in a way, we're kind of happy about that because we can correct that and make them better. But we see a lot of people like you do also, Rodney, where you see a lot of people that have really bad osteoarthritis, but they have good motion, but they don't have that much pain. And I kept thinking, why do the people that have good motion not have much pain and the people that have mild arthritic changes on the x-ray and have a flexion contracture have so much pain and it kind of all goes hand in hand is that if they have a flexion contracture we're crazy not to try to correct that because that by itself can be a big contributing factor to their pain and we found that that if a therapist can help that improve many times the patient's symptoms get to the point that they are not unhappy with their knee they don't want a total knee they just want to feel better and, you know, I hate mm-hmm. to say it, I probably ruined your mm-hmm. practice, Rodney, by taking half the people that you would have done a total knee on when you were <laughs> in your resident or fellowship and made them not need a total knee. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting in clinic when those people you see them kind of go through the evolution while they're in the office, while they're in the in the initial visit, where the initial uh, therapy is not going to help me. I've already been told I have bone on bone arthritis. Therapies it may work for other people, but it can't work for me. And then discussing it with them, and you know, kind of seeing the light bulb, and they kind of nod a little bit as we're going, and their eyes kind of go, you know, eyebrows kind of go up a little bit as they start to. So you're telling me that even with a knee that looks like that, I could get better without surgery? And the answer is yes, you can. And there's really no downside to try. And, and a lot of those patients then will come around pretty quickly and say, well, I, I don't want surgery. I get, yeah, you're right. If there's something that you legitimately think is going to work, then I don't want surgery. So yeah, I guess I will try it. And, and, and to see those people kind of go through that evolution and get to the point where, where they're ready to buy into it, which is of course a, a, a big deal in the, in these patients progression as well. What makes that even better is when we get bilateral x-rays on our patients. And from a PT perspective, I always love it when you take a bilateral x-ray, even though they come in for one knee and they have severe arthritis on both legs, but they're stiff on one side. And you make a quick point of, but would you be happy with your asymptomatic knee? And they say, of course. And well, you mm -hmm. clearly see that there's, it's just as severely arthritic as the, as the painful side. Now, if we can get the painful side to look like the non-painful side from a range of motion and strength standpoint, then you'll be happy with it. And that really is what I've seen from a rehab standpoint, really be that light bulb moment to have patients realize that they can get better with an arthritic knee. Dr. Shelbourne, a lot of patients then say, well, if we're going to do this, how, I'm, I don't want to spend months and months doing this. You know, my knee's really bad. You understand how bad my knee is. I don't want to do this forever. So, uh, you know, tell us about the conversation that we have in, in the clinic with those patients. If they say, you know, yeah, I'll try it, but kind of what's what's your idea on how long this is going to take and um, and what kind of progression you expect us to see as the, expect the patients to see? Well, I mean, Rodney, Rodney, you've looked at the data quite a bit. And we've tried to do that and look at the data because we don't want we don't want to put people through some unsuccessful process and delay the ultimate total knee they're going to have. And you've looked at the data, and most people, if we look at the data when they come in to see us and work with therapy, most people at one month are doing better. And then when you look at their progress at three months, mm -hmm. if they're not continuing to do better and they go backwards then you have been able to predictably tell that patient you probably won't get better non-operatively. You know, yeah. We're trying to not make people suffer and not have some, something done for them that is beneficial in the end. But if they get better at one month and they keep getting better at three months, then you found that those people continue to get better if they continue to do their rehab. But if they get better at a month and they go back at three months, at that point, you kind of tell them, well, throw in the towel. You're probably not going to get better. You got your motion yeah. better, and your motion got better, but your pain didn't get better. So you probably are a good candidate for a total knee because you got your motion better. Mm -hmm. We've done everything we can non-operatively to help you out, and your pain hasn't gotten better. And then you do a total knee on them and talk about your results with the dissatisfaction compared to the level of dissatisfaction in general with total knees in the country. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt that the, the to, to me there's there's just not any downside. I mean, there's a little delay, of course, in if the patient ultimately ends up with a surgery. You could make the argument that delaying the surgery delayed their symptom relief. However, we just have too many patients that avoid surgery to not give that a try. And I, I agree with you. I have that same conversation with them. As, as you know, we both looked at that data before that when we look at the people who avoid surgery versus the people who end up having surgery, the curves separate pretty, pretty quickly. It's not like the people who avoid surgery 
toil away for months and months and months trying to get better before they finally have a breakthrough and get better within a month to six weeks. If they're going to get better, they're doing it. And if somebody, I tell all those patients that give four to six weeks of working with whoever your therapist is really buy into this, get a couple of visits in with the therapist. And if by four to six weeks, you don't see improvements in your motion, improvements in your strength, improvements in your function and pain, then come back in here and we'll talk about other options. Uh, and, and the patient's usually, can can live with that. I think a lot of the patients then respond, oh, well, six weeks is not so bad. I, I that's a that's a pretty reasonable, a reasonable thing to do. And you know, one of your mentors, Dr. Show, one I know is is Merrill Ritter, uh, that, that's in town as well, as joint replacement surgeon. I think he, him and his group showed pretty clearly over time. Uh, and this is one of the most fascinating things to me about our non-surgical treatment protocol is that Merrill Ritter showed that pre-op motion often dictates post-op motion. I think it's pretty clear from their group and from others that post-op motion in some ways has a big influence on what the patient's outcome is. So if pre-op motion dictates post-op motion and post-op motion dictates outcome, to me, that means pre-op motion dictates outcome. And if that's the case, then it is really incumbent upon us, even if it means a four to six week delay in what eventually becomes surgical treatment, uh, to be able to get that pre-op motion as good as it possibly can be. So talk a little bit about your thoughts on that. And also any, any, uh, any stories about uh, working with Dr. Ritter back in, back in the day when you were in your formative years. When I was in training with, with Dr. Ritter, I was always impressed when he said that when somebody has a bad hip, once they lose internal rotation, they, they, they go downhill and you have to do a total hip. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I kept thinking, well, if they lose internal rotation, can you get internal rotation back by forcing it somehow? And he said, no, you know, once, once you lose it, you lose it. And I was told the same thing about arthritic knees. Once you lose extension, your, 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 your knee hurts and it's not going to go away. But Luckily, with the elite seat and what we've done with ACL patients, we've learned that you can make extension less bad. And surprisingly and impressively for us to learn, if you get extension back in many cases, it makes the patient better. And, you know, talk, talk about, Rodney, the overall dissatisfaction rate in the country. 20% of the people after total needs are not happy and talk about your dissatisfaction rate compared to everybody else. Yeah, that's a, a topic for another day, definitely, where we really want to focus on post-surgical treatment and outcomes. But just a, a little a little slice of that, as everybody knows, every meeting I go to and that everybody else, all our listeners go to, you talk at the academy meeting, the AUKUS meeting, uh, subspecialty meetings, that there's a certain population of patients that are just dissatisfied after surgery. And that is pretty commonly quoted to be 10 to 15% of patients are dissatisfied. At our office, when we look at our satisfaction rates, we're at about 90% satisfied, about six or seven percent somewhat satisfied. And I think the last count we did was like 2.7 percent dissatisfaction rate. Some of those patients and a fair amount of those patients had some sort of a reason other than just not doing well, such as an infection or they had a fall or, uh, you know, had surgery for some other reason, et cetera, in which case they weren't they were dissatisfied. So the chance of our patients having a primary total knee, everything going just fine and just being dissatisfied for reasons that we don't understand is just a really uncommon occurrence. And I, I wish that I could say that I'm just such a good surgeon that uh, I just do so much better than everybody else. But I, but I know that's not true. The difference is that we prepare people functionally for the surgery. We carry that through the initial 
perioperative time period all the way to the finish line with a focus on improving range of motion, improving functionality, relieving pain, but doing so not just with the implant, doing so by getting them functionally ready for the surgery, doing a good operation, and having good postoperative therapy as well. Well, the, the, the unique thing, as you know, and Scott can talk about this with our office, is that how many orthopedic surgeons out there have therapists like Scott and we have to work with our patients preoperatively to try to make them better? And most orthopedic surgeons see somebody with an arthritic knee and they decide by themselves when somebody needs a total knee without having any therapist like Scott and our therapist around to help them out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we are unique and we're lucky as heck, and I'm glad that we have what we have. Because our therapists just take care of knee problems. You take care of Tara can take take care of nothing but knee problems. And we have yeah. a system in place that the patient is not on an island by themselves. They have a team that works with our patients to make them better. That certainly was my yeah. experience in training at what I think were some pretty great places to train. And Scott, I'm sure your yours is probably similar. Yeah, and that teamwork really is, goes both ways. When, when the when you guys talk as surgeons about having an option for non-operative treatment of knee osteoarthritis, and the, the therapists really take over pretty well there, but it, it it goes back and forth. As we talked about with Elena, you know, sometimes the the progress of the patient really ebbs and flows, and we need to have the patient see Dr. Benner, Dr. Shelborn again. And one of the one of the options we have at that point, if the patient's progressing with range of motion, progressing with strength, but they're still not having the pain relief that they would like, and they're not really over that hump, one of the tools we have is, is referring them back to you guys to discuss something of an injection. So Dr. Shelborn, can you talk a little bit about what the role of the injection is for non-operative treatment? Well, the thing is the injection is certainly part of what we do, but it's something that other orthopedic surgeons think is a treatment, and we know it's just an adjunct to have, having the therapy work better. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, I always describe it to patients as if we did nothing and you got the injection, it would be purely a Band-Aid. And it would be, you know, 60 to 90 days worth of pain relief, which is fine. But what happens after the injection wears off? The pain's going to come right back. And, and that's where I think that teamwork approach is really, really shines because the patient gets the injection from one of you two and they come back to therapy and we can really hit the rehab even harder because the pain's not there and you really hit that range of motion even more maybe put them in the elite seat a couple more times get their strength up and then by the time the injection wears off i i see that those patients doing better because their objective measures are better so dr shelburne when you see these patients and you diagnose them with osteoarthritis and you know varying compartments and varying severity does your treatment approach or I should say, is the treatment approach any different, whether it be medial compartment, lateral compartment? And we've already discussed mild, moderate, severe, but does your approach from an orthopedic surgeon change, whether it's from the medial or lateral or mild or severe? Well, no, the approach doesn't change, but surprisingly, the outcomes are tremendously different, which is what I was surprised with when I looked at your data that you have, Scott. The medial compartment osteoarthritis patients by far have more going on to having a total knee compared to lateral. And the number of lateral compartment osteoarthritic patients that end up having a total knee is surprisingly low. And I, I was shocked by how low the lateral, lateral compartment osteoarthritis patients go on to have a total knee compared to medial. And medial and medial is pretty good. The lateral is unbelievably better. 
Well, that does it for tonight's episode. Thanks again to Dr. Shelbourne for coming on the show tonight to uh, talk to us about the evolution of arthritic knee care over time. And uh, we look forward to having you all back next week. Please follow us on our social media channels and on Twitter and Instagram at the SKC Podcast. You can email us at the SKC Podcast at gmail.com with any questions. We'd love to hear from you or go to the Shelbourne East Center Podcast Facebook page uh, and see us there. Make sure to join us next week as we continue our three-part series on non-surgical treatment and knee arthritis by talking about the outcomes of a very long study that we've been doing following four or 500 patients with arthritic knees and some really good insights that we've learned uh, about treating these patients from that. So uh, thanks to Dr. Shelbourne and Scott, and we will see you again next week. <music>